0: Genesis 12, um, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they, had to, that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord and Abram journeyed on still going toward the Negev. This past week I heard a preacher quote Blaise Pascal who said quote human beings are the glory and the garbage of the universe. And the preacher said the glory is easy to see. We tell jokes. Write poems, score goals, make music, make babies, build skyscrapers, cure diseases. But the garbage is easy to see too. We break promises, tell lies, we murder, exploit, cheat and abuse. It's like there's a cocktail, he said, of glory and garbage shaken up inside each one of us. And that rings true, doesn't it? In view of our own experience in the world. Well, we resume our series in Genesis this evening. We began a series in Genesis on the 14th of March last year. And we worked our way from Genesis 1 verse 1 to the end of chapter 11. And those two words, glory and garbage encapsulates so much of what we saw in Genesis last year. We saw glory. God created mankind as the crown, the apex, the pinnacle of his creation. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And he made them to reflect him and to... Resemble him to all of creation as they ruled over creation according to his word. But then from chapter 3 came the garbage. Adam and Eve sinned against God in hopes of ascending above the throne of God. And yet the result was finding themselves beneath the curse of a decimated creation. From that moment on, reflecting and resembling God would no longer be a dream, but would be a nightmare. The earth would resist the authority of man just as man had resisted the authority of God so that now everything is broken. And by the sweat of our brow, we eat our bread. Well, in our series In Genesis last year, we ended at the turning point of the book. Our passage this evening marks the earliest significant milestone in redemptive history. That is one of the first actions God undertook to prepare the world for the reversal of the disaster of sin. And for his blessing to replace his cursing now my guess is that at some point in our lives all of us have thought to ourselves things just shouldn't be this way George Bernard Shaw once said if the planets are if the other planets are inhabited then they must be using the earth as their insane asylum and someone else said I don't believe in evolution that apes Evolved into humans, but I do believe in devolution that we are all going there. There is plenty of glory and there is plenty of garbage in the world that surrounds us, and that's why we need the message of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. The focus of the passage centers really on God's promise to Abram, not yet called Abraham. And you see it there in verse 3, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And my outline tonight is not my attempt to be clever, I'm being very serious and if you follow me I believe you will see it too, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, number one by grace alone, number two through faith alone Number three, in Christ alone. Number four, to the glory of God alone. Number one, by grace alone. Look again at verse one. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now what we have in these opening two verses is really an expose of the amazing nature of God's grace. I can say with 100% certainty That if the grace of God doesn't amaze you, you haven't received and you haven't tasted and you haven't understood what the grace of God actually is. What is grace? Well, grace is God's active favor toward not only the undeserving, but also the ill-deserving. God's mercy is his withholding of what we do deserve Namely, his judgment. But the grace of God is his active blessing, his active favor toward those who deserve the opposite out of the superabundance of God's loving nature. Verse 1 Now the Lord said to Abram, Who was Abram? Well, Abram was a descendant of Adam, and Abram was born in sin. And Abram was from Ur of the Chaldeans who were pagans and who were moon worshippers. And Calvin wrote, had Abram come to God or conciliated his favor? Nay, we must ever recall to mind that he, Abram, was plunged in the filth of idolatry. And now God freely stretches forth his hand to bring back the wanderer. He designs to open his sacred mouth. That he may show to one, deceived by Satan's wiles, the way of salvation. That's grace. And we see here that grace creates supernaturally what is impossible naturally. I will make of you a great nation. How is that going to happen? Abram was old. Sarai was old. Sarai was barren. How is it going to happen? By grace alone. And what's more, grace gives freely what cannot be uh, obtained by our effort. I will make of you a great name. Do those words ring a bell to any of us? That is exactly what the builders of the tower of Babel sought for themselves. How? By works. Making a name for themselves by building a tower to the heavens. Someone wrote at Babel, men said, let us. But to Abram, God said, I will. And what's more, we see that God's grace is abundant. That is, he doesn't give grace in meager portion. He gives grace by the bucket load. What do I mean? I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace. Friends, Abram was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans by grace alone, and we are called out of the dominion of darkness, by grace alone. By the grace of Abraham, or Abram's descendant alone. I remember one pastor sharing his testimony with a a room full of pastors or staff workers and he said, I grew up in a nominally Catholic home, rebelled against all I understood about Catholicism and at an early age I immersed myself in the drug culture. I can still remember the first evening I smoked marijuana and I pursued the world of drugs as passionately as I could to my shame. I found myself to every possible drug-induced experience of pleasure I could find. I took LSD like it was vitamin C. I was happy. There was no crisis taking place in my life. I was not convicted of my sin. And it just so happened that one of my older friends who had invited me into the drug culture had relocated. And somehow, some way, he wandered into a church where he heard the gospel and he experienced the miracle of regeneration. He turned from his sin, he trusted in the Savior, and within two weeks of his conversion, he had this intent, I must return to the Washington, D.C. area and share the gospel with my friends. He asked to meet with me one evening, and as I smoked, at some point in between tokes, as he told me all he knew of the gospel, God summoned me. In a moment I experienced effectual call. God acted upon me prior to my acting upon God. I would argue, he said, that I was reformed in experience before I was informed theologically. God called me. He didn't merely invite me. This pastor said no. He summoned me. It was a divine summons. It was an authoritative summons. And friends just as God called and summoned us by grace alone. And just as God called Abram by the grace of God alone. He will keep us by grace alone. The God who called Abram to Canaan is the God who calls us to heaven. And the God who called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldeans into the promised land by grace alone is the God who calls us out of sin into glory by grace and by grace alone. He will get you to the finish line just as he would get Abram To the promised land. The good work he began in you. He will carry it on. To completion. At the day of Christ Jesus. Even through many dangers. And toils and snares. We have already come. It will be grace. That brings us safe thus far. And it will be grace. That will lead us home. Abram. In you. All the families of the earth. Shall be blessed. How? By grace alone. Second through faith look at verse 3 I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed so Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The author to Hebrews sums up this moment in Hebrews eleven eight 8 and 9 when he says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. But exactly how would Abram be a blessing to all the families of the earth Well, answer because Christ was included in his loins yeah. as someone put it listen again to galatians 3 and the scri- uh, to galatians 3 yeah, and the scripture for seeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith preach the gospel beforehand to abraham saying in you shall all the nations Be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. That's how Indians are blessed today. That's how Arabs are blessed today. That's how the British are blessed today by believing in Abram's descendant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Life is ours through Jesus. Repentance is ours through Jesus. The Holy Spirit is ours through Jesus. Forgiveness is ours through Jesus. Justification is ours through Jesus. Adoption is ours through Jesus. It's why Paul says, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. What is the evidence that we have Abram's faith? We have Abram's obedience. How can I know if I have Abram's faith? You can know it when you have Abram's obedience. It wasn't a perfect obedience, as we will see in the weeks to come. But it was an obedient faith. And faith without works is dead. G.A. Stuart Kennedy said, faith is not believing in spite of evidence. It is obeying in spite of consequence. And cleaving in faith to Jesus involves leaving behind the world. A man leaves his father and his mother and he holds fast to one wife A man leaves behind the world and he holds fast to Christ. And this blessing of Jesus, make no mistake, is not an addition to our lives. It is our life. Paul said in Colossians 3, you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ In God. The old you is over. It's gone. He said in Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the son of God. Who loved me. And gave himself for me. And he also said. The world has been crucified to me. And I have been crucified to the world. And he said in Philippians 3. I count everything as loss. For the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ. And so did Abram. I count Ur of the Chaldeans a load of rubbish. In view of the blessing that was coming his way. It's why Jesus said in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me. And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes and even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It is not might. It is, cannot be my disciple. But, friends, here's what we need to remember tonight every human loss is worth it because Jesus Christ is better by far. Better by far. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You will know how deeply Bunyan's description of Christian has impressed itself onto my soul. Why? Because I quote it all the time. <laughs> you remember how he paints a picture of Christian for his in Pilgrim's progress as a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled and not being able longer to continue, he break out with a lamentable cry saying, what shall I do? And then later he writes, now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and children perceiving it began to cry after him to return. But the man put his fingers in his ears and ran on crying, life, life eternal life so he looked not behind him but fled towards the middle of the plain and having received the blessing promised to Abram Christian could sing blessings are mine with 10,000 beside we meet him at first and he's clothed in rags but in the end it turns out he's the most blessed man in the world because everything is his In you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How? By grace alone, through faith alone. Number three, in Christ alone. Look at verse seven. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, if all we had were the Old Testament, we would assume that the descendants, the offspring promised here would would be Abraham's biological ethnic physical bloodline descendants according to the flesh. But listen again to what Paul says in Galatians 3:16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring who is Christ. Someone said, Paul argues that God's promise to Abram extends equal citizenship to all in God's kingdom. Any Jew or Gentile who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is a child of God and of Abram. I like to say, which might land me in a bit of trouble with some, but I like to say that I, with my pasty skin and my blonde hair and my blue eyes, are more Jewish ...than the Jews praying at the wailing war right now... ...who do not have Abraham's faith in Abraham's descendant. And the promise concerning the land... ...will be fully realized... ...when Abram's descendant returns... ...such that the entire world will be covered... ...in the knowledge of the glory of the Lord... ...even as the waters cover the sea... ...from Canaan to Calcutta... ...from Israel to Iceland... And if all of this sounds a bit weird and a bit abstract and confusing, what I'm saying is Jesus is the wellspring of, the treasure trove of, the source of God's promises. All of them are yes and amen in him. Every single one. I heard Richard Buse speaking a number of years ago. I must have been about 20, so it feels like an eternity ago now. And he said that because of his friendship with one man, who was one of the commentators at Wimbledon in London, because he was friends with that one man, he was able to plant his feet and stand right in the center of center court in Wimbledon and look around the stadium and realize that he could stand where he would not have been able to stand left to himself Only because he knew a man. He knew a man. And we know a man. Christ Jesus. And because we find our standing in him. We can stand where we could not stand left to ourselves. Right in the heart of God's will. And all of the promises belonging to us. What an illustration that is of the believer we know a man and how do we enjoy that reality well we enjoy it by experiencing it the way Abram did notice here the language of verse 7 it says the Lord appeared to Abram and said now this might have been a, a theophany this might have been God appearing to Abram this might have been God physically putting himself before the eyes of Abraham I don't think it was Listen to how similar the wording of verse seven is to another passage in the Old Testament. Listen to this. This is 1 Samuel 3, 21. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. The word in written form mediates the word in incarnate form. And how can we revel in all that we have in Jesus? By breathing in everything that is ours in the scriptures. That's how God appears to us. That's how God makes himself visible, as it were, to us. Lastly, to the glory of God alone. Look at the end of verse 7. So we built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. So God promised that Abram would be a, a blessing to all the peoples of the world by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what was the appropriate response? Living to the glory of God alone. Hence here, Abram's building himself an altar and calling on the name of the Lord. His tent marked him as a sojourner, and the altar marked him as a worshiper, said one commentator. Well, Abram worshiped God for a blessing promised. We worship God for his blessing received and and delivered. It's why so many of the epistles in the New Testament, they start with those words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has. And then the author goes on and lists uh, a trainload of blessings he's predestined us. He's cleansed us, he's adopted us, he's filled us, he's promised good to us, and it goes on and on. In fact, the only epistle that the Apostle Paul wrote that doesn't start like that when he's writing to a church is to the church that is being tempted to abandon by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. To the churches in Galatia, he writes, Who has bewitched you? Foolish Galatians. Now I know that some of us leave church on a Sunday feeling like frauds. We're singing our hearts out. But then maybe there's not a lot going on in our hearts. And we feel like hypocrites. What are we to do? Well, you know, there's a restaurant in London that I've never been to. But it's called the Banqueting House. And in the Banqueting House, there is a picture on the ceiling. That is so staggering that it makes all of the customers want to just stare up at it. And the problem with doing that is that it puts a pain in your neck. And so the nice people at the banqueting house have made these trolleys that have mirrors on the top of them. And you can just walk around this restaurant with a trolley looking at the ceiling by looking down into the mirror The painting could only be reflected out because the light had come down to the mirrors. Friends, that has to be us. Worship won't happen by us trying to create something in ourselves. We won't be those who are beaming with worship and glory unless we first take into ourselves the blessings and the promises of Christ in the gospel. That's the order. We receive and we put out. If you're here today. And you're not yet a believer. You need to do that. For the very first time tonight. You need to receive. The Lord Jesus Christ. In faith. In order for you to do. What you were created to do. And that is worship. The Lord. Our God. You need to receive. The perfect life. Of Christ. For your sinful life. His substitutionary death. For your righteousness. His Hell at Calvary for your heaven and respond with praise and adoration and worship by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Amen. Why don't we stand?